Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hicks! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey everybody welcome back to the podcast this is dan kadar joined by browns beat writer nate ulrich nate how have you been good dan how are you very very good every year on the podcast we do season awards and sometimes they're easy sometimes they're hard and it's usually either way because the Browns are so bad. We have put together a nice-sized list of awards to hand out this year on the podcast. It will go along with Nate's story about that, so make sure you check it out over at beaconjournal.com sports slash Browns for Nate's exclusive thoughts and probably an expanded thoughts there. But uh, we do this every year, and Nate, i got to tell you, some of these were much harder to come up with in a good way. I don't know how you just feel generally overall about them. Um, I thought it was kind of refreshing to do them after a winning season, a playoff season. Um, there are a lot of choices for a lot of these, and that's the way I viewed it. Yeah, well, that that's similar to me. It was just challenging to find, like, one of them we have is best play, okay, which, which we'll get to here in a while. And I thought of, like, one, and then I thought, oh, man, what about this one then? And what about, you know, what about this one, that one, that one, this one? And there were, like, eight or nine plays that came to mind without even having to really look them up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. It, it, was, it was a good thing, I think. It was, and, it, and I will say this. These came off the top of my head. I really, nice. I did not have to dig through, you know, game stories I've written or, you know, game books because, you know, when you cover a, a 12 and 6 season, I'm including the playoffs there, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of memories that stand out because, you know, it was a successful season and it would stand out to me because of my time on the beat, which is a decade plus, it is that unique season. It's a winning season. <laughs> It's just so much different, and I've been waiting to cover something different because, yeah, it gets stale when it's nothing but losing. So, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, – I am cherishing the opportunity to go through these awards with you, and, and I'm happy that I don't know your answers and you don't know mine. So I think this will be fun. Exactly. So if you guys uh, like our picks, if you disagree with them, let us know either way on social media. Nate is at by Nate Ulrich. Uh, and it'll be fun. So 
Let's just start here, Nate. I think the first one's pretty easy. Offensive player of the year. Who do you have? <laughs> well, I like how you said it's pretty easy. I went with a not-so-obvious answer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so the premise for my pick is the offensive line became the backbone of this team. And I felt like the offensive line deserved recognition for that. And so I picked one guy because I can't pick a position group. And I picked the guy, if you listen to this podcast, you know, is the guy I think is still the best offensive lineman for the Browns. I went with left guard Joel Betonio, three-time wow. pro bowler, pro bowl starter this year, second team all pro. For me, it came down to him and uh, an all pro right tackle, Jack Conklin, to be kind of at you know, the front man of this group. And I went with Antonio. And full disclosure here, um, you know, I'm a member of the Professional Football Writers of America. And every year the members of the uh, local PFWA vote for Brown's Player of the Year and Brown's Good Guy Award winner. The good guy is the, you know, the, the player who cooperates the best with the media in the eyes of the media and um, – mm-hmm you know, makes a good impact in the community. Larry Ogunjobi, by the way, was, the, was this year's good guy, and he is the one I voted for. Uh, but my player of the year ballot this year, we, we, we submit a winner and a runner-up in our voting. And I submitted uh, Miles Garrett as, as my choice for winner, and I submitted Joel Batonio as my runner-up. So I will give Joel Batonio uh, the nod here representing a tremendous offensive line, um, a, a tremendously improved offensive line, and one that wound up being regarded as one of the best units, if not the best unit in the league compared with the other 31 offensive lines. I thought it was just so impressive and crucial to what the Browns did in the 2020 season. So I don't know if that's the answer you thought you were going to get from me, but that's what you're getting. And it is consistent on the record. I'm revealing my player of the year ballot from late December. <laughs> why Joel Batonio is the guy I'm sticking with. And it's been that way for a couple months for me. Well, I like that. It, it's it's on brand for you uh, to go with an offensive lineman. I like it. I I just think Baker Mayfield was the the easy choice for me, and maybe I maybe I'm just classically overvaluing the quarterback like everybody does. But the, the way he not only the way he played, but the way he led the team and, and really became the face of the franchise this year, and some of the stuff he did on offense. Since this is the offensive player of the year, and I'm just thinking like toward the end of the season when he was. Uh, doing the the tough stuff, running for hard yards when he when he needed them, or um, just like I don't know, Nate. I'm so struck by seeing Baker Mayfield running down the field to pick up a teammate after a tackle, or uh, jawing with opponents, or whatever. Like there was a clip. I can't remember what what team the Browns were playing, but the whole defensive line shifted, and Baker Mayfield just said. That's effing cute, guys. And it, it, it was hilarious. Um, that, that's not the reason he won Offensive Player of the Year, but I think 26 touchdowns to just eight interceptions, to me, uh, speaks to it. And 
you know, I think some people are a little concerned that his completion percentage was just under 63%, but uh, I think I think he's really he's taken the next step, and for that reason, he's my offensive player of the year. Yeah, it's a great pick. Um, I'm not gonna, you know, spend too much time on this, but for for the interest of my um, kind of analysis that I wrote and or, you know awards that I that I wrote up here for these two, I did runner up an honorable mention, just the offensive uh, player of the year and. Defensive player of the year. I had Mayfield as my runner up for offensive player of the year. So I'm, I was right there with you. Um, if I didn't go with the offensive, the offensive line route, it would have been Mayfield. And then for honorable mention, I had Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Jarvis Landry, um, each getting an honorable mention for me. And then if we want to move to defensive player of the year, I won't spend a lot of time on it. I've already tipped my hand by revealing my player of the year ballot from the PFWA voting and I went with Miles Garrett. To me, it was a no brainer. Um, unfortunate that COVID-19 cost him two games and then he was never the same after it for the rest of the season. And really his candidacy as NFL defensive player of the year ended uh, because of that illness, but still a tremendous season. Another step forward for Miles Garrett. Yeah, it, he's my pick as well. And I, I think this one comes up as being a great what if type of season for Miles Garrett. Um, just like as you mentioned, I mean, in in 14 games, he still had 12 sacks and four forced fumbles. So that that's tough, man, because he was such a different player after COVID-19. He admitted that and you you could just see it watching him play. So to me, that this becomes a all-time great what-if season, like the 1994 Cleveland Indians, which, sorry for scratching that nerve, everybody, but moving past Defensive Player of the Year, Nate, unless you want to toss in your uh, runner-up and honorable mention on that, we're on Comeback Player of the Year, and this one was very hard for me, so take it away. Well, first off, I'll just say I did have Denzel Ward as a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. I gave honorable mentions to Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson, and Ronnie Harrison. Mm. Um, for the Comeback Player of the Year, see, this is usually <laughs> – it's so funny, Dan, because you texted me saying some of your choices were weird, and I feel like some of my choices were weird, and I let off with Betonio, which is a curveball, I think, in your eyes. And I'm yes. going to go with Baker Mayfield here. This is usually an award designated for somebody who's coming back from an injury. That's the way you, you usually think about it. But Baker Mayfield isn't didn't come back from an injury, but he came back from a big-time regression in 2019, as everybody who's watched anything involving Mayfield and the Browns knows. And his bounce back was just tremendous in every single way. It started with him getting in shape in the offseason, coming in and, and you know, learning Stefanski's system and it wasn't clicking at you know a high rate out of the gate yeah and he did have a horrible game in Pittsburgh in October Mm -hmm. he picked himself up and dusted himself off and went on to have a tremendous season obviously leading the Browns in the playoffs and then their first playoff win since January 1st 1995 you mentioned some of the stats earlier. Tack on the playoff games, and we land at 30 touchdown passes and nine interceptions in 18 games. A year after he had 22 touchdown passes and 21 interceptions. 
in Oof. 16 games. Just, just I can't say enough about how Baker rebounded, and so that's why he's my choice here. Well, I have Baker down for at least one more award uh, on the show, but he's not my comeback player of the year. That honor goes to none other than Hollywood Richard Higgins. And look, I I know he's never going to be a superstar, number one wide receiver. Almost every broadcast that is done for a Browns game, the announcer for some reason says, oh, yeah, he's not the fastest. He's not the biggest. But be that as it may, Richard Higgins last year had four catches and was in Freddie Kitchen's awful doghouse all season. So he followed that up this year by catching 37 passes, 599 yards. Uh, he started six games, played 13, and he's he's still just always been Baker Mayfield's kind of safety blanket wide receiver. So to, to go from four catches uh, in, in a year where you were really on the outs to 37, that to me is a comeback. So that, that's, you know, his numbers were similar this year as they were in 2018 when everybody was, you know, pretty excited about how he was playing. So that is my comeback player. Your, your quick thoughts on that one. I love it. This is why it's so fun to do these because there is some, so much to talk about in a, in a season like the one we just saw and covered. And there's going to be multiple picks for all of these that, that you can make a great case for. And, and you just did. Um, also, Higgins does kind of fit the traditional mold of comeback player of the year, too, because you hit on him being in the doghouse of Freddie Kitchens. Well, that came because of an injury. He hurt his knee right. early in the season. I think it was in the opener, missed a few games. Then he and Freddie basically butted heads over when he was ready to come back. Mm-hmm. There was a disagreement, and it got out in the media <laughs> with the way they, they both of them handled it. And it just you know, kind of festered and, and yeah, it, it got ugly there. So the same thing kind of happened with David Njoku last year. Um, but Higgins, yeah, certainly um, made the most of his opportunities this year and, and stepped up big time uh, after Odell Beckham Jr. was was hurt with the, the torn ACL and out for the season uh, after that, you know, October 25th Bengals game. So, Great pick. Most improved players. The next one on the list. Mm-hmm. I went with uh, right guard Wyatt Teller, another offensive lineman. Um, you know, some people might even argue that because I went off, went with an offensive line pick for offensive player of the year, that I should have gone with Teller as the representative. Um, for me, he's still a step behind Joel Batonio and Jack Conklin. I can see him getting to that level uh, of pro bowler slash all pro, but he missed five games, uh, you know, this year with, with calf and ankle injuries. So, you know, I think he, he's going to look to stay healthy and become a little more consistent as a pass protector. Obviously he's a mauler in the run game and just took a tremendous step from 2019 when he was really just a guy. He entered 2020 training camp wondering if he's going to be able to hold on to that uh, starting job. Not only did he hold on, but he ended up being pro football focused 
uh, .com's highest graded offensive lineman, not just guard, but the highest grade PFF gave any offensive lineman in the 2020 season went to Wyatt Teller. So he's far away uh, my pick for most improved player. Well, mine was mine was Baker Mayfield for most improved, and and all the reasons are the ones you stated and why he was the comeback player of the year. Uh, just flipped a switch this season. So not to belabor that point, we will move on to most pleasant surprise. And Nate, I kind of feel like I'm I'm just like one award behind you in this whole thing because Wyatt Teller was my most pleasant surprise. And maybe this is my pro football focus subscription fee coming into play here on my decision. But uh, like you said, he was a he was a toss up player in 2019, you know, fighting for a job, really. And this season he was when he was healthy, he was a rock. So uh, that that's what I was so surprised by the whole offensive line. I guess as a whole, after we've seen it be so bad uh, post Joe Thomas's career, uh, but specifically, Wyatt Teller for me was the most pleasant surprise. What was yours? That's an, another great pick, and it you know it, all these guys can fit into you know most improved, most pleasant surprise comeback. You could you could mix and match, and I think that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. My most pleasant surprise. I'm hoping is a little bit of a surprise to you and it's going to be linebacker Malcolm Smith because they picked him up in late August. It was like, he was just like a kind of like an emergency replacement guy that Andrew Barry signed, you know, after um, Mac Wilson had been hurt in training camp with a hyperextended knee. Well, we all knew that Malcolm Smith was a former Super Bowl MVP but he, you know, he hadn't done a, a, a lot as a consistent producer in recent years. He comes to the Browns. He ends up being their best coverage linebacker um, throughout the season was consistent for them. And that's a PFF metric. You know, they, they grade everybody in every facet. And, and they gave him the best grade. Um among among the linebackers best coverage and I think that showed up with the eyeball test as well I thought he really made a difference when he was out there became you know the nickel linebacker uh, along with BJ Goodson and you know he signed one of those one-year prove-it deals I kind of think that he's a guy you might want to bring back because he's doing what Mac Wilson could not do uh, or did not do this past season, and that's become the linebacker who did have uh, some really nice moments in coverage. And I think Malcolm Smith uh, was a huge surprise in that way for me, a guy you just pick up late. And uh, looking at his recent resume, I thought he delivered and, and provided a lot. Yeah, I, that's a good call. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair enough call. He just never seemed to make enough splash plays for me, I guess. And maybe I'm just, um, the Browns linebacker situation might have just tainted me as a whole to not even think of a player like him for an award, but, um, we'll see what, where we go next because we have biggest disappointment. Oh, and, it's not all yes. rainbows and sunshine. No, no. 
And I wanted to ask if if you meant like a moment or a player as biggest disappointment. But then I didn't want to ask you in case we go completely different ways. I went with a player. So, so I I, I will <laughs> fall on the I'll fall on the sword first, okay? And I went with Andrew Sandejo. Um a good veteran in terms of like a locker room guy, as far as I know, um, he was brought in because he frankly knew, knew the defense, but so many blown coverage assignments, so many blown plays. I thought he was okay in the run game, but in the past game in a season where the Browns needed all the help they can get in pass defense, he was a big disappointment for me. So I'm not going to continue piling on Anderson Deho because I want to know who you picked here. Well, hang on. I got to challenge you on Anderson Deho for a second. Go ahead. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> I'm not defending Anderson Deho, but I just want to ask you, what were your expectations from coming in? Like, I thought about him being one of the players who was a disappointment, but I didn't pick him for this because – I didn't have high expectations. Well, I didn't have high expectations. Uh, so that, that goes to show what I what I guess I think about Anderson Dejo's play this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I my expectation was that he would be a guy you didn't always like. He became a meme on Twitter because of, the, the plays he blew. So uh, I didn't expect him to be a guy that would take the brunt of a lot of the blame. I, I expected him to just be a guy that kind of blended in, made enough plays, didn't blow plays, but do some plays. So that, that, that was my expectation. All right. Well, I ask you that partly because I went with a guy I had high expectations for. I picked a good player for this category. Mm. It's, it's tight end Austin Hooper. Um, Ooh. He signed a blockbuster contract as an unrestricted free agent last March. It was the record setter for tight ends at the time. Obviously been surpassed since then. Uh, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey and, and George Kittle, but four years, $42 million. You have high expectations for him, right? Two-time pro bowler coming from the Falcons. His pass catching production dropped across the board from 2019 to 2020. And he played the same number of games, 13 in each season. Uh, I'm talking regular season games here. Uh, he did a lot of good and coach Kevin Stefanski you know, pointed out his value in the run game, as did offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt. And so I think he was definitely a key part of the offense. But when you pay a guy the way the Browns paid him, the way GM Andrew Berry paid him, there are high expectations attached to that. And I thought he would be a better producer in the passing game, especially once Odell Beckham Jr. was injured in October. because. We all talk about there's one football, and some of these guys who've had these statistics in the past aren't going to live up to them. But if you just look at his targets and his catches, the percentage, the catch rate went down. 
And ultimately, he ended up with a uh, lower PFF grade, meaning a worse PFF grade uh, than backup David Njoku. Oof. That's not good. Um, I mean, not by a lot, but, but David Njoku did grade out better. And I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not saying PFF grades are gospel. I, I like PFF. I value PFF. I respect PFF. They put a ton of work in. Um, but, you know, I, I sometimes I look at some of the grades. And I'm like, that doesn't really match up with kind of what I've seen. But in this case, uh, you know, I take that into account. I take in just your traditional statistics into account. And the contract, the expectations I had for him, and I think it was a disappointment. I think he would admit it was a disappointment. Um, and, and one of the things I did put in, in my uh, analysis here is expect more next year when an appendectomy, an appendectomy does not interfere. That, I think, is fair to point out because he did miss the three games as a result of, hey, he had appendicitis, he had to have surgery. It's weird, right? And then mm-hmm. – you're trying to play one of the most demanding positions in the NFL, which is demanding across the board, as we know. But tight end, man, I mean, that's a that's a tough position where you're expected to block huge defensive ends and you're expected to be athletic enough to be a receiver. Um, can't be easy after you have an appendectomy, so I do want to factor that in. Um, but all in all, yeah, with the contract and high expectations I had, I thought it was a disappointing season for him. I, that's well said. I mean, you, even if you do just look at the traditional stats for him, they're not pretty. He had the game against the Jets where he had 71 yards, and that's kind of whatever. But that was on 15 targets. He caught less than half of them. I'm not, I didn't go over all of them to look at them and see which were on him and which weren't. But other than that, he had a game of 57 yards, a game of 52 and that was the best of it. I mean, he had one game where he had 11 yards, another where he had 13, another where he had 15, another where he had 22. So, yeah, that that's a good call, unfortunately. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. a good call. I, didn't, and I, I, I do want to say one thing about the Jets game. Remember, that's the one where Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, yep. Carroll Hodge, were all ruled out on the eve of that game as close contacts to B.J. Goodson after he had tested positive for COVID-19. So that's the one where the Browns didn't have a receiving core, and they, they were rolling with guys they had to call from the practice squad, and that's why Austin Hooper had 15 targets. But that's the game, really, it kind of epitomizes the yeah. disappointing season. That's the game where you really needed him to show up like a two-time Pro Bowl or like a guy – who's worth every penny of the four-year, $42 million contract and just kind of have that Austin Hooper breakout game, the connection with Baker Mayfield, to, to have it all, to have it hit on all cylinders. I mean, those guys spent weeks together in Austin, Texas in the, in the offseason trying to, to develop chemistry and, and build that rapport, um, you know, in Baker's hometown uh, amid the pandemic. And I, it just, you know, it just left something to be desired. I'm, you know, I think that, it can still get there. And, of course, like I already said, I, you have to qualify that he did have a bizarre medical issue and had to have surgery, too. So when that's out of the way, you know, hopefully we do see an Oster Hooper who lives up to his contract next season. But for now, I had really high expectations for him, and I didn't see him live up to him in year one with the Browns. Mm, yeah, fair enough. 
Our, our next one, I have a sneaking suspicion we pick the same player, so I'm interested to see who you go with here. I know we picked something the same later on in our awards here, but the next one up, most underrated player. I think we might have picked the same player, but who do you have on this one? I thought you didn't know my picks. I don't know your picks, but I just, I just have a feeling I can feel feel it Nate like uh, you right. know I got like, I, I hope I didn't lie to our, our loyal no. listeners um I would be surprised if you picked this guy um okay I picked cornerback Terrence Mitchell oh we picked different then go on good um like I said there's there's in a 12 and 6 playoff win Brown season there's plenty of love to spread around to guys who had good seasons to help the team succeed for the first time in forever I think that it's really interesting. I didn't even, I knew he played every game. I knew he was the only member of the secondary to, to, to be that consistent starter. What I didn't realize, it just didn't hit me. There were only two defenders who started all 18 games. Terrence Mitchell was one of them. You have any idea, any guess who the other one was? Um, Gosh, it's either, let's see, Sheldon Richardson. Okay, I'll stop uh, you there. You got it. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so Terrence Mitchell and Sheldon Richardson were the only two defenders to start all 18 games. Mitchell ends up finishing second on the team and passes defense with 14. One of those was in the playoffs. Denzel Ward had 18. And... Mitchell also finishes second on the team with three forced fumbles. Miles Garrett had four to lead the, the club. So, you know, I thought Terrence Mitchell, when you look at those numbers, when you look at his um, just his reliability of being in there all the time, along with uh, Sheldon Richardson, and then a pretty respectable PFF grade, I think everything points to him having a, a pretty good season. He, um, is an unrestricted free agent here in March. I think he should be a guy that they bring back. I think I said it before. I think I said it last week that I kind of view him as a Chris Hubbard guy. He is, he's a guy who certainly can start and he proved that this season played pretty well as a starter, which is why he's my most underrated player. Cause I don't think he's talked about a lot, but I think that really, if you want to upgrade your cornerback situation in your secondary, man, it would be great to be able to bring Terrence Mitchell back and bring in somebody else. And maybe Terrence Mitchell's like your three. So maybe you're looking at him kind of like, a, you know, if he's a key backup, I think you got a really good secondary, just like now Chris Hubbard went from a starting right tackle to key backup played really well for the Browns uh, when he was in there. And now you got a great offensive line. So, that's kind of how I look at Terrence Mitchell. Well, I love the description of him being like the Chris Hubbard type of player on defense. I, I that That's a great line is all. Uh, but I don't want to go off on a tangent here because I want to get to my pick. But if Terrence Mitchell is your number three cornerback this year or next year, rather, presumably Greedy Williams is your number two and Denzel Ward your number one, right? Are the Browns not? Can target a cornerback in the in the draft because in, in my 
most recent mock draft, ding, ding, there's a plug. I, I gave the Browns a cornerback. So is that, is that good enough if he's the, if he's the number three cornerback? Well, see, I'm not, I'm not penciling. I'm not even, I'm certainly not putting pen in, uh, Greedy Williams name in pen. I'm not even penciling him in. I mean, this is, a, we got to see what happens, right? Oh. I think it's a, well, he's dealing with a nerve issue that, uh, that, that sidelined him for an entire season. So I think it's a bonus if you get him back and we'll see. I have no idea. I mean, how, how can any of us predict a nerve issue? I mean, the Browns say they expect him back. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, I could totally see a cornerback. I think it's going to be all about the edge rushers, so the defensive ends who could be opposite Miles Garrett, and cornerbacks. I think that th- this offseason is all about that. Last mm-hmm. offseason off was all about finding two new offensive tackles. They did. They, they ended up being, you know, smash hits out of the gate for these guys. And that's why the offensive line was the offensive line. The number one offensive line, according to PFF grades, obviously I went with Joel Batonio to represent the unit as, as my offensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if Andrew Barry can kind of have, you know, half or a quarter of the success he had last season in upgrading the offensive line, if you can do that with the defense at corner and defensive end, I think you're going to see the defense take the step that, they, that it needs to take. Uh, so yeah, I could, I could definitely see cornerback now, maybe even Terrence Mitchell, maybe actually, he's actually the four in an ideal situation because you have two outside corners and a nickel and, uh, you know, a guy who covers the slot and maybe that's not even Terrence Mitchell. Maybe he's your, your backup for, for your two outside guys. And we know Denzel Ward, the track record says as good as he is, as much as I respect him as a player and as a guy off the field, I think he does tremendous things. In, in the community, a guy from Northeast Ohio who we know, um, you know, has this great reputation, lives up to it. I can't say enough good things about him, but the injury history is there. We know he's probably, if if the trend continues, going to miss a few games. So you do need a Terrence Mitchell. You do need a, a high-quality backup guy, too. So that's why I kind of throw it at the, the Chris Hubbard comparison. Right. Okay. I just wanted to go off on a little tangent there just to, you know, get Get some things out there, some thoughts out there, but that's good. My most underrated player, and we're just going to rename this for me, the DeQuell Jackson Memorial Most Underrated Player Award, because I'm giving it to B.J. Goodson. Um, Somebody has to get those tackles, and and he was the guy who did it. Now, uh, were there some, some questionable plays or, or performances by him sure however uh he far and away led the browns in tackles this year with 91 next closest had 72 i know that's a product of playing inside linebacker a little bit but you know he he defended six passes um he intercepted a couple passes including that big one against uh joe burrow in the red zone against the Bengals. that was a huge play um, I, I think people slept on that play a little bit, and I think they slept on B.J. Goodson a little bit simply because he's a Browns linebacker, and it was a bad year for Browns linebackers. So he is my most underrated. Our next one is Rookie of the Year. We're getting into the big ones now. Um, well, I guess Offense and Defensive Player of the Year were big ones, but it sounds good to say rookie of the year is a big one because my pick for it is a big person. 
in left tackle Jedrick Wills. Now, he he had some rough patches here and there. I, I mentioned in our Microsoft Teams Browns game day chat several times, hey, this guy leads the NFL in penalties. I don't know if he finished the season that way, but um, he had a lot of penalties. He struggled, I thought, against the Chiefs. But um, I, I think there's a, I think there's a heck of a player there. I, I think you, you, if you're the Browns, you once again have a franchise left tackle, which you need. So he, to me, is the easy pick for rookie of the year. Did you go somewhere different? No, I went with Wills. I think it's pretty obvious. There are some uh, things, obviously, that he needs to improve. Uh, you mentioned him, and, you know, he dealt with some injuries uh, here and there, but was available for the most part. Uh, you know, I think that he really gave you as much as you could hope for uh, when he drafted him 10th overall and knew that he would have to transition from a high school and college right tackle to an NFL left tackle, start right out of the gate, do it without any, uh, you know, spring practices or any uh, preseason games to get his feet wet. I thought he really had a good season when he considered all that. And his PFF grade was the worst on the team, I would like to point out. But the thing that you really want out of your left tackle is pass blocking more than anything. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have right off the top of my head where he where he finished, but his pass blocking grade was pretty good, and and it was much better than his overall grade. So I just want to say that, um, you know, like I said, I don't put, you know, I don't say here's here are these grades. I put all my stock into them, but to acknowledge that, that's where he landed in terms of that. And our next uh, – Award is my my pick is is tied right to Jedrick Will, so I'll go ahead and say that for most impactful assistant coach or assistant coach of the year, I went with offensive line coach Bill Callahan. He gave Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry a strong endorsement uh, of Will's as a left tackle, and then oversaw that transition. And that endorsement gave Andrew Barry. Paul D. Podesta, Kevin Stefanski, and others involved the confidence to say, you know what, we're, we're trusting Bill Callahan and his offensive line mind, and we're going to pick this guy 10th overall. We believe, Bill, that he can make this transition, and then Callahan proved to be right. Callahan obviously also helped Wyatt Teller reach a new level. He got the entire position group clicking, as we've mentioned a few times before, and and another thing I, I have here is don't forget how well some of the backups played. Mentioned Chris Hubbard played really well um, in his spot duty uh, before he got hurt late in the season. So Bill Callahan, to me, was an easy choice. Yeah, that was my pick, too. I, I thought about going cheeky and picking Stump Mitchell simply because of his beard is worth an award itself. <laughs> Um, but I didn't. And I also, I, I momentarily thought it would be funny to say Kevin Stefanski is offensive coordinator of the year, because who are we kidding? He's the play caller. Um, so, but I didn't, I, I stuck with Callahan and it, 
it's it's the whole thing. I mean, I I think he can be uh, thanked for elevating Wyatt Teller the way Teller did. I know Teller put in a ton of work himself, and he looks like a mountain of a person now. But you know, Callahan helped him. Um, and I'm certain Callahan did did a lot. So to me, that that was one of the easier picks for us. The next one, like I said at the top, this this was by far the hardest pick for me to make, and it is best play of the year. Nate, take it away, because I have five plays down, and I, you know what? I still don't know which one I like the most, so which one is yours? Well, I, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to pick from, but let me just start off by saying NFL honors are Saturday night. They're going to record them earlier in the day. Kevin Stefanski, I've said it before, and I'm not going to back down now that we're we're right on the the verge of seeing this uh, outcome. He should be the NFL Coach of the Year. Uh, but when he did have to miss a game, uh, the, the the wild card playoff game in Pittsburgh because he tested positive for COVID-19, Alex Van Pelt stepped in as the play caller. So offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, I considered him for assistant <laughs> coach of the year. Uh, he, he would be my runner up, but my best play is a play he called. And that is Nick Chubb's 40 yard touchdown on a screen pass from Baker Mayfield with 1232 left in the fourth quarter of that game in Pittsburgh. It gave the Browns a 42, 23 lead. And at that moment, I think everyone watching thought, wow, the Browns aren't going to blow this because the Steelers had rallied. Obviously they're going to hang on. They're going to win their first playoff game since. January 1st, 1995, and they did. That is a good call. Um, sorry if I cut you off there, but you sounded like you went uh, silent. So I, I'm jumping in, damn it, just to say, Nate, that play did not even make my final five. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like, you picked a great one, yeah. and that play didn't even finish in my final five. Well, uh, fire away. <laughs> Look, anybody who's listened to our podcast since the Browns drafted him knows that I am a Miles Garrett fanboy. Um, so his strip sack against Washington to seal that that game that that's an honorable mention, and I had a hard time not picking that. Nick Chubb's non-touchdown against the Texans. You know, when he ran down and he just fell down at the one, that to me was the best Browns culture play of the season. We talked about that on our podcast after that game. And so selfless that that's an honorable mention. Odell Beckham uh, clinching the game against the Cowboys. Nate, I jumped out of my seat during that play. Um, You know, the... Browns had the ball at the 50-yard line, just under four minutes left. And it, there was that wild, wild play. The Browns beat, beat the Cowboys, America's team. Uh, huge play. That also didn't win. My winner, Donovan Peoples-Jones against the Bengals. A magical moment. I mean, the, the Bengals went up with like just over a minute left. It was 34 to 31, and it was a 
five play drive, 75 yards, 24 yards to Donovan Peoples Jones with like 10 seconds left. Incredible play. Like, you get chills thinking about it. It was such a great play. So that that was my play of the year. They're all great, and and you know you can make a case for for all of them because not only they great plays, but they're important plays. These plays are plays they need to win. And when it all you know you put it all together, throw it in the hopper. You needed all those wins to get into the playoffs to have the play that I picked. So there you go. Um, worst play to me. This was uh, a. <laughs> This is a heartbreaker. This is a playoff classic in the worst uh, possible way. Rashard Higgins yep. fumbling through yep. the end zone and out of bounds for the touchback. By the way, yes, he gets drilled with a helmet-to-helmet hit. Not called. Not reviewable. Lost to the Chiefs. Huge play. Season over. Yep, that 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 was my pick, too, on that one. Just absolutely heartbreaking. Dirty. Dan Sorensen bringing shame to the name of Dan nationwide. <laughs> it's got to right. be said. So yeah. yeah, that place sucked. But our next one, I, I picked this one or I added it in. Yes. Andrew Barry's best move. Um, to me, this is an easy pick, but I added it because I think Andrew Barry just needs a little shout out. So real quick. Your Andrew Barry best move of the year. Well, you know, I talked about the disappointing season from Austin Hooper and the expectations attached to that contract, not quite living up yet, in my view. On the other hand, Jack Conklin was worth every penny in the first season of the three year, 42 million contract Andrew Barry gave him. He is my pick for this award. And I think Jedrick Wills was a hell of a draft pick at 10th overall, as we kind of outlined earlier. But Conklin gets this award from me for the best move by Andrew Barry. Who was hired first, Andrew Barry or Kevin Stefanski? Stefanski. Well, then that that makes my pick null and void because I didn't do enough research on my own award pick. Uh, so I'll go. Ooh, I just swore. I'll have to edit that out. Um, <laughs> you were gonna pick. Uh, and you were gonna pick Kevin Stefanski. Yes. Oh, yeah. And no, I, that, that would go by to that if we had a best move by Paul D. Podesta award. You want to name your yeah. award that and say Kevin Stefanski? Best front office award or best front office move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went from having the chills from Donovan Peoples Jones. I'm I'm beat red right now in embarrassment, Nate. So we'll just move on because you got to get out of here and jump on a Zoom call. Best big picture development of the year. Mine again, Baker Mayfield taking the next big step in his in his career and earning this big contract he should get this off season. What is yours? And I went with kind of a tandem of the, the last couple of things you touched on. I had Stefanski and Mayfield positioning themselves to become that coveted head coach quarterback tandem for years to come, leading the Browns into the playoffs, winning a game, and just that dynamic duo at the, the two most important positions in any franchise that the Browns have sought forever. So to end That's on a, a sour note, <laughs> yeah. we have yeah. worse big picture development. Um, but I have kind of a, it's kind of positive too. I just have that the Browns have yet to play a full season with a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. 
obviously the way that can be positive is that if you watch him on Instagram rehabbing, he's going to be back. If the Browns keep him, which I think they have an appetite for, I've outlined this before, and even in our most recent podcast, I think ownership really wants him, and I think that's a that's a factor people don't discuss enough. Um, just think about what he would have looked like in that Chiefs game, and I think that he he a healthy Odell, if they can actually get there. I know it hasn't happened yet, so maybe it's just a dream, but if it can happen, it could be really exciting. Indeed, and Nate has to hop off here, so I, I will close out the podcast by picking mine of, and this is a conversation we will carry into another podcast, but it is uh, Denzel Ward. Uh, just four more games this year, and now he's missed 12 in three seasons, so 11 or 12, it's, it's, it's a lot, and it, it's going to come into... Uh, the contract talks for him. So that that was my pick there for worst big picture development because it, it leads to some questions about what you do with him going forward. Great player, always injured. So I believe that is going to do it here for cover two. Hey, guys, thanks for listening so much. Nate is working on some really good stories coming up. Find them over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash browns. More stuff from Steve Dorshuk up there. Marla Ridenauer is still doing stuff. And, you know, a lot of Brown stuff this offseason. So check it out. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.